Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. There's an inner voice. There's an inner feeling. Um, some people would call it your inner GPS that, that keeps us going toward something that we know and I really consider it a precognitive knowing that we know that there's something we're here to do and it feels bigger than us in some regard. And there have been plenty of things for me that I've explored or paths I've gone down that I've really given it my all and it, it didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. And I did let those things go. But there are other there are those times, I think, for all of us when there's something so clear that even when it feels like it's, it's never going to happen, something keeps calling you to keep inching forward. Take just the next step on the path. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. 
It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sandra, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Reem. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, you know, you and I met uh, a couple of weeks ago at Yannick Silver's event, who was also a recent guest here on the show. And I got to see you give a talk slash performance. I think calling it a talk would be an understatement and not really do it justice. Uh, but before we get into what you do, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you ended up making with your life and your career? Ooh, what an interesting, cool question. Um, what social group? I, well, I was certainly a, a theater person. Uh-huh. That was my passion and, and continued to be for many years after high school. And I was kind of a floater. I, I, I was friends with the, the jocks and friends with the, uh, I don't want to use any derogatory term, but the less popular crowd, you know, I kind of floated amongst all of them, but I never really felt, you know, as so many of us uh-huh. didn't feel a part of anything really. Like I never felt grounded in, yeah. in high school anywhere. Um, but I certainly felt like I could be the most myself with my theater friends because they, they were the group that would get together on the weekend and just like make up stories and act them out on somebody's old video camera. Like we, we weren't drinking and partying. We were just having fun and being kids. Uh-huh. So I do think that made a major impact on the, the path that I ended up following and I, I did feel like of all the groups, the, the actor types were, they were kind of my people uh-huh. and continued to be <laughs> the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting paradox that of all places where you felt like you could be yourself, it was a place where you were actually acting. Um, Right. And, and that's such a strange paradox. And, I, and I'm one, I'm curious what you'd have to say about that. And, you know, the sense of not feeling like you belong or not feeling grounded. I, I wonder if people still feel that later in adult life. I wonder if you still feel it at moments now, despite having done all of what you've done. And, and, you know, how do you how do you navigate that? And how do you help other people navigate that? Like, what would you tell people who feel that? Mm. So to your first point, I, as far as acting, and I did feel like I got to be the the most authentic version of myself with those people, because what acting asks you to do is really to bring the truth of who you are out through that character. It's still, it, it requires you, even though you're playing a character, to be the most truthful you can be. And the other thing that I learned early on from acting and, and from doing theater in high school is it asks you to begin paying attention to your emotions, which is really what we learn to do later on in life when we study mindfulness. That's, mm-hmm. It's a huge part of just being present to what is actually going on with me. Because as actors, we're asked to recreate those emotions on stage. So you get intimately familiar with the inner landscape of what you're feeling. And it's incredibly uh, mindful. It's a mindfulness practice that does require that you go to the deepest places within yourself and learn how to bring that out. So acting really is, even though you're playing a character, you're technically a quote unquote someone else. Mm-hmm. It's you. You're using your essence and the most truthful parts of who you are. So that's one piece. And as to the not feeling grounded or like I fit in in any particular group in high school. Yeah. I do think as we get older, something beautiful and wonderful happens where we find our tribe, we find, even if it's a small intimate circle or or even one person that you can be completely unmasked with, that you can just really um, be wholeheartedly yourself with all of your craziness and insecurity and whatever it is, that there's no 
no need for any sort of pretense with your inner circle. So I have been blessed to have that, those friendships in my life and that partnership with my husband. Mm-hmm. And it, that is it for me, very grounding. And it, it, those people anchor me to who I am at the times when, when I get lost and forget. Mm. You know, the other thing that really struck me was this notion of, you know, learning to feel our emotions and actually be with them. And the thing that came up to me was like, well, that sounds lovely when it, you know, those emotions are pleasant. What about when they're unpleasant? Because I, I think the most natural instinct, at least for me, is if an unpleasant emotion, you know, arises, I do everything I can to figure out how to make it go away. Yes. And really it's, it's paying attention to the unpleasant ones. That's where the gold is. That's really where the magic happens because the simple attention and, and I would call it compassionate awareness, kind attention to what it is that we're feeling, especially when it's something painful. To me, that's incredibly healing because where we suffer so much is in trying to resist it. That's when we get into addictive behavior, we get into fight or flight where we're or we're just living in this constant state of distraction from what is really going on. And when we give ourselves the time and space to actually tap into our heart and feel the hurt, the grief, the the, the anxiety, whatever it is that's going on. The simple act of paying kind attention to oneself is incredibly healing because we're so good at doing that for other people, right? It's very easy to listen to a friend and and empathize and, and feel for them and wish them well. But when I actually practice loving kindness meditation every day. And part of the practice is to, you know, they're the four classic phrases, may you be peaceful, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you live with ease. When you, when you turn that toward yourself, which is also a crucial part of loving kindness meditation practice, just wishing yourself well is something I think we're not taught to do. And, and giving yourself that, that wish to, to be well, I think is, is an incredibly underutilized resource that we have as humans. And that's where I think the, the real healing begins to happen. Mm, wow. So I got a glimpse into your story, uh, you know, when I, I saw you uh, at Yannick's event, and I would love for you to share it with our listeners. I mean, walk us through kind of how you've gotten to the point where you're doing the work that you do, because I know from having heard a little bit of it that it wasn't exactly a straight and narrow path. Right. Well, thank you. I I started falling in love with theater and singing and acting when I was very young, but I was a shy, insecure kid who, you know, I had a, I have an older sister and she was the smarter, more outgoing, sparkly one. And I was kind of the introvert in the background off, you know, playing with my stuffed animals and being by myself. But I really fell in love with an art form. I fell in love with musical theater when I saw Annie as a kid, and I knew that was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And it was a really long and difficult process of coming out of my shell and learning how to sing in front of people, to be seen and heard. You know, so many of us struggle with that still as adults, Mm -hmm. to be out there, to be big, and many of us received mixed messages as young people about how safe that was to be seen and heard. That was certainly true for me. Um, sometimes it was I was encouraged to be big, to be out there to shine. And other times I was made to feel guilty for that or shamed for it in some way. So that journey taught me so much about self-nurturance and how to support myself to be able to do this thing that I loved. And I think that really has informed the work that I'm doing now and trying to encourage other people to find what works for you so that you can bring out of you what it is that's inside that you're really wanting to express in the world. 
So for me, that journey looked like beginning to take voice lessons and acting classes in high school and college and eventually moving to New York. And um, I'm so fortunate that things happened relatively quickly for me. My, my overnight success happened within five years. <laughs> so, and about five years of struggling and being rejected and almost giving up and being completely broke and uh, basically homeless, living on a friend's sofa. And uh, I finally got a huge break that changed my life. And I, I was fortunate enough to be cast as Christine, the female lead in The Phantom of the Opera, a role which I went on to play on Broadway for about a decade. And uh, so I, I moved away from theater after that and very organically found my way into the author-speaker world, which I didn't even know really was a thing. <laughs> but now it's what I love most. And I really feel like the the whole journey of my moving through my own fear, finding my voice and finding my courage and, and the phantom experience and all of that has, has enabled me to do what I'm doing now, which is even more in alignment with who I am than, than anything I've done before. Ah, wow. So lots of questions come from this. Um, the first is, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you almost gave up. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when were the moments that you gave almost gave up? What were those like? How did you keep yourself from giving up? And, you know, what do you what do you think it is that separates the people, uh, particularly in, you know, careers like the arts where the odds are so stacked against you? Uh, mm. What separates the people who actually persist and get to where they want to go from the ones who don't? Mm. Is there a point at which it makes sense to quit? Yeah, that's great. I well, first, the places where I almost gave up, uh, there were many, but. I will cut to my auditions for Phantom. I had the chance to audition the first time and I got cast not as Christine, but in the chorus. So that was a, a huge victory to be a part of the show at all. But I really, of course, was hoping to get to play the lead someday. And when I went back, they brought me back to audition for the lead role a year after being in the chorus. And I had already done the the role four times on stage because I was the understudy when I was in the chorus. And when I went back for that second audition, I was so determined to nail it that I ended up sort of tripping myself up and trying too hard and pushing. And it, it was not an authentic, honest, in the moment performance. It was, I was pushing, it was, phony. It was not, I did not make a good showing and I didn't get it. They told me that's it. You know, you're going back to the chorus. And, and I thought at that point it's over. I am, you know, this is as far as I will ever get. And I, it, 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 I'm only good enough to, to be in the chorus, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. That was great. But at the time I was really heartbroken because I felt like I had hit a glass ceiling and it was my own fault because I knew better. I know how to, that the most important thing about a performance is to be present and authentic. And that's what I didn't do because I was trying so hard to prove myself and be what I thought they wanted me to be that I tripped over my own two feet. So that was a huge moment of feeling like it's over. And I'll tell you the thing that helped me move through that really was gratitude. I know it's sort of overused now. It's become a cliche, but I really, I still am someone who focuses on gratitude daily. And I, I do keep a gratitude journal. I, I sit and meditate on the things I have to be grateful for every night before I go to sleep. I think through and I say thank you for the, you know, I think through the moments that that touched my heart or the moments of aliveness. And, and it really was coming to a place of gratitude for what was good. You know, I'm no longer uh, homeless. I'm no longer struggling 
in New York. I have a steady job. I have friends and family who love me. And those simple practices of focusing on what was good helped me to grieve it and let go of it. And I'm not suggesting that that gratitude and surrender, that that is a magic formula for getting what we want. But in my particular case, it, it just so happened that once I had grieved it and let go of it, they came around another time and said, we want to bring you back and give you one last chance. And that's when I was able to go into that final audition in that space of not uh, clinging, not driven about it, like I've got to get this, but in a space of surrender and openness. And it actually allowed me to perform much better. So to your second question, what separates the people who do give up from the people who keep going for it? I can only speak from my personal experience and what I have observed. And I feel like there's an inner voice. There's an inner feeling. Um, some people would call it your inner GPS that, that keeps us going toward something that we know and I really consider it a precognitive knowing that we know that there's something we're here to do and it feels bigger than us in some regard. And there have been plenty of things for me that I've explored or paths I've gone down that I've really given it my all and it, it didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. And I did let those things go. But there are other there are those times, I think, for all of us when there's something so clear that even when it feels like it's, it's never going to happen, something keeps calling you to keep inching forward, take just the next step on the path. And, and for me, I had that, that deep inner knowing from, from an early age that this was the path for me. This was what I was supposed to pursue. And so that I think gave me courage and and a tenacity I, I wouldn't have otherwise had and not in some, you know, stars in my eyes, kind of egoic way of I'm supposed to be a star. It was never that it was never, I never was even thinking Broadway when the first time I saw the Phantom of the Opera, I remember thinking, Oh my God, I would love to play the role of Christine in my hometown of Michigan. You know, when someday when it plays a local theater, the, the whole Broadway thing was beyond anything on my radar at that point. But I loved the art form. And that is is the other big piece of it that I think keeps propelling us forward. The ones who don't give up. Following love. There's nothing more motivational in the world than that. Yeah. So I had one other question about it. Do you think there is a point at which it actually makes sense for somebody to quit? I do personally. I think there's incredible freedom and grace in knowing when it's time to namaste and bow out gracefully. <laughs> I really do. I think that's a powerful choice to make for oneself. And there, there might be grief involved. There might be disappointment and heartbreak, and it may take you some time to move through that. But that's a call only you can make for yourself. I think no one can tell you. Um, but I do think it's an empowering choice to make sometimes. Hmm. So I wanted to ask you um, about the relationship with your father, particularly because we have a lot of parents who, who listen to this show and, and, you know, are raising their children, listening to stories like yours. And, uh, you know, I'm curious what advice you would give to them based on the relationship that you had with your father. Oh, thank you for asking. My dad was a really remarkable father. He he loved being a parent and it really was his encouragement that allowed me to, to do what it is that I did with my life to move away from home and, and try to make it in this crazy competitive field. And my dad's real gift was he saw my heart 
and he let me follow what was in my heart. He didn't impose what he thought I should do. And he just gave me courage. I mean, he was not at all the helicopter type of parent or, you know, on me about my grades or what I was going to do after I graduated high school. And he wasn't like that. But I'll tell you what my dad did that I think is so rare and so important. He was genuinely interested in me. He would turn off the TV and look across the living room at me when he's sitting in his recliner and I'm across on the couch and just say, what's going on with you, Sam? What, what's happening in school? What's going on with your friends? Are you happy? He genuinely cared about what was going on in my life and he wouldn't let me just say, oh, everything's fine. He drew me out and he was interested in what was going on in my life. And I think that that piece of it is huge. And another thing my dad did that I think is so powerful and easy for parents to do is he wrote to me. You know, when I went to college, my dad started writing me letters. And it, this was before the internet. So there was no <laughs> such thing as email back then. Um, he later did learn how to, how to email, but he could never type. So he started typing emails to me with one finger. He had to, we didn't have a computer. He had to go to Kinko's to use their computer <laughs> back in the day. But I still have those letters. And sometimes, you know, the in-person thing can be awkward to, to say the emotional stuff. That's why Hallmark is, you know, such a bazillion dollar. <laughs> but a, a, a letter in, in writing, it's easier to express what we're really feeling. And I still have every letter my dad wrote to me. And they are the most priceless, precious possessions that I have. I lost my dad very suddenly to a heart attack back in 2007. But I still have those letters. And he told me how much I meant to him in those letters. Um, so I felt safe and cared for. I felt like someone in this world had my back, even if I failed, even if I never was able to make a dollar from singing and acting. My dad didn't care about that. He just wanted me to follow my heart and be happy. And he was always a soft place to land when I fell. Mm, wow. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. It's my favorite favorite thing to talk about. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> I, I remember that very, that particular section of your talk, and it really struck with me. It struck me and stayed with me, so I, I knew I had to ask about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I'm very curious about when you have this moment in your life, this moment of arrival, or, or what you think is a moment of arrival. I'm curious in your own world, like. Did your inner dialogue change at all when you realized that you had gotten to this point where you're now, you know, cast as Christine? And uh, the, the reason I ask this is I feel like one of the big mis- misperceptions that people have is that they have this notion that you're going to get to this moment. And in that moment, suddenly you're going to feel completely different. Everything is going to change and you're going to have, you know, no more work. And I'm speaking you know, of this from the experience of getting a book deal. And mm-hmm. realizing that after, you know, the, the joys of, of posting it on social media uh, and telling all my friends were over, I had to actually write a book. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm oh. curious um, kind of what your perspective is is on all of this, um, you know, as somebody who worked in theater. And, and, you know, like, how does it change? Oh, I love this. I love this. Thank you for asking this because this is the piece I never get to talk about. Uh, and I will tell you. I I feel le- like I'm less than truthful if I if I don't get to share this part because so often people think that the getting there the arrival is the end of the line that's the end that's the there's some pot of gold at the end of this rainbow and if I've learned anything from this journey from you know reaching this pinnacle of of my profession beyond anything I ever thought was possible for me. It's that the journey up really is no substitute for the journey in. And, and the, in the words of John Kabat-Zinn, his wonderful book, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) I thought that getting the thing, that external validation, the paycheck, all of it, would make me feel the confidence that I had always lacked. And it, it just isn't true. There's no there there, ultimately. It's an, the inner journey of, of untangling the knots uh, where we learned uh, to, to not value ourselves, where we learned not to have authentic self-worth. That's, that's the work that still needs to be done because here's what happens. Here's what happened in my case. You, know, you, get, you get the thing, you get the price, whether it's the corner office or, or the starring role, whatever it may be. And the insecurity, the self-doubt, the fear comes right along for the ride. And suddenly you find yourself in this high stakes position where there's so much farther to fall. And it just turns into imposter syndrome. Now, oh my God, how the heck am I here? You know, that's because they're going to find out any minute that I, I don't deserve to be the CEO or whatever it may be. You know, So I'm, I'm actually working on a book now called Unmasking What Matters that talks about exactly this, that we can't hang our self-worth on anything external because it, it doesn't bring us what, we, what we've been sold that it will. And, you know, there's so many people that are willing to sell you on the fact that once you get the thing, whether it's the perfect wardrobe or the, the right weight or the 
the kind of car in your driveway or whatever, that that's going to make you feel a certain way that you've always hoped you'd feel about yourself. And the truth is, the, the work to be done is an inside job. It's, it's not about getting the external thing. It will never bring us that sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, and, and genuine self-worth that is what we're actually seeking. Wow. Uh, so many things to say about that. I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting because I think the, the fact that we live in a, a 24-7 news cycle in a perpetually connected world amplifies this uh, sort of sense of dissatisfaction that we feel. You know, I, I use a, a plugin on Chrome called the Facebook Newsfeed Obliterator, so I literally don't see anything anybody posts. And one of my friends is like, don't you think that's kind of selfish? I'm like, yeah, maybe. But the reality is I know that when I see certain things, they're triggers for me. And that's yeah. my way of, of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we we show our best face on Facebook, you know, <laughs> and and that I love that phrase that we're we often compare our insides to everyone else's outsides. You know, we show up. You know, it's, to me, it's so powerful that I was the the show I got to learn from that I got to be a part of for so long is Phantom, a show about a guy who wears a mask. You know, we're all walking around wearing masks and and we need them in some regard. We can't um, we need an identity to, to show up in the world. But the truth is who we are behind the mask is all the same, regardless of what we're putting out there as a, a version of ourselves underneath it all is is the being that's there. And it's very easy in this culture of of masks to forget about who we really are inside the being behind the persona, the personality, the projections out there, and that who you are as a being simply by virtue of the fact that you're here, that you were born, that an authentic sense of self-worth is our birthright. You don't have to do anything to get that. You don't have to become anything to be worthy. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't follow the things that light us up and bring us alive. In fact, the sense of genuine self-worth gives us the freedom to be able to do that, to follow whatever it is that's speaking to your heart. But when we put the cart before the horse or we get it backwards, that's when we get into trouble. When we start seeking the thing out there to fulfill what's missing in here. It needs to be the other way around. <laughs> Fulfill. Know that you are worthy because you are born. See what it is that puts the light on in your eyes and, and makes you feel alive. And then do that full out to the, to the fullest expression of, of where it can take you and what it is that you want to do that lights you up. The aliveness is the point of the whole thing, not to get the thing out there. That, that's what I really learned in this whole, you know, 10 years on Broadway. It wasn't the getting to the, the top. It was falling in love with this art form when, that happened when I was a kid. And in a way, acting out a, a story in front of my stuffed animals in my bedroom as a kid was the same feeling I would get from performing a scene on Broadway. I fell in love with this art form. And it brought me alive. That's the most important part of the whole gig. <laughs> uh, a couple other questions. Uh, one is, you know, when you get to the point where you have that substantial of a public presence, I'm guessing, you know, newspapers, journalists, reviewers are all probably making their comments. Um, you know, and this, I'm guessing this was, you know, semi pre-internet or probably the end of it was like when the Internet was starting to be prevalent. Uh, one, I'm curious, you know, how you dealt with that. Did you read your reviews or were you one of those people's like, I don't, you know, like the Seth Godin rule of just don't read your book reviews or read comments. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious how you, how you handled, uh, and, and navigated all of that. Mm. And do you miss it? Do I miss being on, uh, Broadway? Ah, oh, okay. So criticism that, yeah, nobody prepares you for that. You know, here, here I was following, 
this passion of mine and being fortunate enough to be successful and get this starring role. And now all of a sudden it's someone else's job to write about me in the newspaper. (laughs) And I'm reading things about myself and, Oh, it was, it was really hard to get used to that because I never went into it wanting to be a public person in in any way. And in theater, you know, we're fortunate. We get to be very anonymous. Um, I think for me, that's a plus. Um, but it was hard. And I did get to a place later on where I chose not to read my reviews because you can get that adrenaline rush and dopamine hit from the positive ones and then get zapped by the the negative ones and negative could be even just being glossed over you know (laughs) or they would say something about a co-star of mine that would hurt my feelings or so i just i didn't want to see it so i do try to avoid all of that stuff now Mm -hmm. and do i miss broadway i tell you the truth i don't ever need to perform at that level six nights a week ever again. Um, I did that for 10 years of my life and it was wonderful. I'm grateful for it, but I don't miss the pressure of that. Uh And I'm still performing and I'm still singing songs from Phantom and other songs that I love. And now a huge part of what I do is I get to share my story and, and talk about what's meaningful to me as a solo artist doing keynotes and I do a lot of private parties, events with business owners, like client appreciation events and stuff like that, where it's a much more intimate connection with the audience. I get to see the people I'm talking to, which I never got to do all those years on Broadway. Now I get to actually look into eyes and connect with people and meet them afterward. And, and there's no more mask, (laughs) which is, which is to me much more rewarding for where I am in my life today. Yeah. So the other question I wanted to ask you, I'm really glad you brought up the six nights a week is, is I was curious what goes into mastery of a craft or what you learn about mastery and craft from that kind of, of sort of, you know, discipline. Mm. There are two sides of it. I think um, the, the beneficial side is that you get so intimate with what you're doing that you can really explore the minutia, the detail, the, you can find every nuance and color and you can explore so far outside the box that it's, it's incredibly enriching to be able to do that and to still find ways to be spontaneous when you're saying the same words and singing the same songs night after night. And I did it more than a thousand performances. So you get intimately familiar with the, the landscape of the, of the play of the character. And that's really fun and creative to, to keep it fresh night after night and, and convince yourself and the audience that this is all happening for the very first time. The downside of it is you can also start to get really nitpicky about what you're doing. And I've got a really loud mouthed inner critic that was really good at pointing out the one little teeny tiny thing that I felt didn't go well. And if I wasn't really careful, I could spin that into such an overblown thing that I feel like I had a terrible show and I, you know, uh, just berate myself all night long when truth be told that the difference between what I perceived as my best show and my worst show was probably imperceptible to the audience. (laughs) But to me, it feels like the Grand Canyon. So I had to develop practices of focusing on what went well. And we all know this now from the neuroscience about the negativity bias in the brain and evolutionarily we developed to be much more aware of negative than positive. So I started writing down five things that, that went well at the end of every show. What were five things that I'm proud of myself for? Because if I didn't do that, I w- it's just so easy to tip the scales 
the other way and and focus too much on the one thing you didn't do the way you hoped. Mm. Wow. So I have um, one other question for you, uh, specifically around uh, the moment of, of getting to be on Oprah. I think we had one other guest here who has been on Oprah. It was Susan Piver, the meditation teacher. And I was wondering if you could take us to that moment and describe it. Like, what do you think that people think that moment is going to be like? And what misperceptions do they have about it? Hmm. Well, I I was on Oprah twice, first in the Oprah Winfrey show back in the day and then just last year on Oprah, where are they now on the, on, on own. And I mean, I, I I can tell you it was, it was a thrill, the thrill of a lifetime for me because I'm, I'm sort of the O generation. You know, I grew up watching Oprah and she is another person that gave me courage to become more of myself. And to me, she stands as such a role model of, of authenticity and integrity and focusing on how to use your life in a way that's true to who you are, but also highly focused on what's bigger than you. And so to get to meet her and say thank you to her in person for me is, is something that I'm grateful for, for a lifetime. Um, it, it, they were very good to me. Uh, the whole experience was was lovely. The producer had seen Phantom, I think, a month or so before, so I had I got to meet the the producer, and they they were just absolutely lovely to me. Now I did not. It didn't become some other thing. Like it didn't launch me into some other world of being uh, recognized in some way or growing. I didn't even have anything to grow at that point. I barely had a website. Um, So in that regard, I think it may not be what what people perceive that for some it is for some. It's, you know, people who have books to sell or whatever. It can be really game changing after the fact. But for me, it it really was this jewel in in my life of getting to simply say thank you to someone who is the embodiment for me of of what I think we're all here to be. Oprah being herself helped me become more of myself. And and that I think is is the greatest gift that we can give. Mm. So I want to finish um, by asking you if you can tell us how you met your husband, because I got to hear that story and I thought this would be a very fitting end to this story. Cause it was, mm. uh, awesome. <laughs> so when I was doing the Phantom Tour, the show played the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and the actor playing the Phantom gave his notice and left, and we got a new Phantom. And this new actor, Ron Bomer, he and I had really good chemistry on stage and off stage. And uh, I, I actually married the phantom. <laughs> so, it's funny. I'm, I'm talking to you right now from Los Angeles uh-huh. where my husband is playing the Pantages theater with the book of Mormon. He's now in the book of Mormon, but that's the same theater where we did phantom together back in 1997, just before I left the tour and moved to Broadway. And so we're really, we, and we just celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. So it's a really, um, special time for us right now, sort of reminiscing and going down memory lane. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that, uh, that we found each other. Wow. Um, well, this has been poetic, as, as I expected it would be. So I want to finish with uh, one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm. Well, I think we are inherently unmistakable. You know, the, the whole snowflake fingerprint thing. We all have that inherently within us. The trick, I think, is is to bring that out into the world and and move through the fear and self-doubt that keeps us from expressing it. That, I think, is where so many of us get stuck. And I just want to appeal to the part of us 
So for everyone listening, there's, there's a part of you that recognizes that you're unmistakable, that there's something within you that if you expressed it in the world would be unlike anything that's ever been expressed in all of space and time because it can only come through you. And, but we also have all those other voices that, that, that keep us hidden, keep and silent and small. And I think it takes real practice to listen to that voice that's inside of you that might just be a very faint whisper and, and let that voice sit in the driver's seat that it requires an element of self-trust and self-compassion because you're going to make mistakes and fail and, and get criticized and all the things that are no fun for any of us. But I think we're here to be unmistakable and to, to let that out into the world. And if we don't share what's inside of us, it's lost to the world forever. So I hope everyone listening will leave their unique fingerprints on the world in whatever way is most meaningful to them. Hmm. Well, I think that makes a, a really fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Oh, thank you. I'm at sandrajoseph.com. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.